Today's Hope FM Drive Show is brought to you by Spring Harvest, bringing the whole church together to worship, learn and share. For the latest news and events, visit springharvest.org. And I'm very pleased to welcome to Hope FM, Henrietta Blythe, who's the CEO of Open Doors. Now, Open Doors is an organisation that I've been aware of since I was a teenager, uh, and some amazing stories come through the Open Doors organisation. Um, but there have been many listeners maybe who've never actually heard of Open Doors and aren't sure what it's all about. So, Henrietta, could you just fill us in? What is Open Doors? What's, what's its reason to be? So, Open Doors exists to strengthen the church in the places where Christians face the most severe persecution and discrimination because of their faith. So it was started by Brother Andrew back in the 1960s. He's written quite a famous book. He's written a really famous book called God's, God Smuggler. And he felt convicted by the Lord to smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain at that time because he knew there were Christians there who were being persecuted, who were being imprisoned, who couldn't get their hands on the Word of God. And that's how it all started. And then after he'd published God Smuggler, uh, he couldn't go behind the Iron Curtain anymore, so he started moving to other countries to support Christians there, particularly in the Middle East. Okay. Um, And the organisation has grown from there. And today... What we do, Gordon, is we raise awareness by doing research into the countries where Christians are persecuted. And for the last 30 years, we've produced our world watch list of Uh the 50 most dangerous countries for Christians. And then we work in many of those countries through partners, through the church, to support Christians, to strengthen them, to encourage them. We want to ensure that they know that they're never alone, that there are people all around the world praying for them, standing with them, speaking out on their behalf. Well, that sounds like an extraordinary remit to have. And I guess it's something that is life-saving for some people, quite literally. Um, I mean, you talked about persecution. Most people in the UK uh, don't have a, a much of an idea, really, of what the persecuted church go through. Could you just tell us a little bit about what you mean by persecution for Christians in those contexts of 50 most dangerous countries? Yes. So this year, number one on the list is Afghanistan for the first time. And Afghanistan has taken over from North Korea, which has been number one for the last 20 years. In Afghanistan... When the Taliban took over, life was already very, very difficult. Life was already very, very difficult Uh for Christians in Afghanistan. It was number two on the list. Anyway, so as a predominantly Muslim state, most Christians are Muslim background believers. That means they've converted to Christianity from Islam. And that brings huge shame and dishonor on their families. So there are a lot of honour killings and family members actually murdering members of their family who've become Christians. But also, with the introduction of the Taliban, they want to impose a purely Islamic state. They're imposing Sharia law. Now in Afghanistan, if a Christian man is discovered, he'll be killed and probably tortured before he's killed to find out the names of other Christians. Women, sadly, uh, can be imprisoned for life, but we know that women and girls are also being given to Taliban warriors as the spoils of war. Many women and girls are being raped. 
If they're raped and not forcibly married, then tragically they're trafficked. Um, Many, many Christians have left Afghanistan, but we know there are some who have bravely chosen to remain. But they have to be completely secret believers. They have to... Uh, they they wipe anything to do with Christianity off their phones. They have to hide their Bibles. Very very dangerous situation for them. Okay, that that is that is awful awful to hear. I'm sure that many people will be shocked because they won't. And we see bits on the news about things being hard, but I'm, generally speaking, if you think about a Christian, somebody who's really a Christian, they're going to be somebody who we would see would be somebody who hopefully would be a positive influence in the community, but. You're saying it's absolutely they're seen as totally very the opposite of a threat to the Taliban, I guess, and and treated absolutely awfully. Yes, and all religious minorities in Afghanistan are being crushed by the Taliban. So if you want a pure Islamic state, you want to eradicate everyone. Now the same thing's happening in India, where nationalist extremists are equating being Indian with being Hindu. And so Hindutva extremists are trying to eradicate all other religions in many states in the country, particularly in the states where there are anti-blasphemy or anti-conversion laws. And so in some states in India, Christians being driven out of their villages, churches are being burned, pastors are being killed. Again, Christian women and girls experience gender-based violence. Um, So these are some of the tensions. North Korea is different because the pressure in North Korea comes from the government. So Kim Jong-un has made it uh, an imperative that all North Koreans worship him and his forebears, and it's illegal to worship anyone else. So a bit like Daniel and his friends, exactly, being forced to worship the statue of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Mm. So in North Korea, for years... It's been incredibly dangerous to own a Bible. We hear many Christians bury their Bibles in the garden or hide them in a bird cage. Or many Christians don't even tell their their children about their faith because the secret police interrogate children in school about their parents. If Christians are found, they will be interned in camps. We think there are about seventy thousand North Korean Christians in these camps. Their families will be interned with them and they're subjected to forced labor, starvation, forced re-education to force them to uh, renounce Christianity. A situation is very, very difficult. We think there are somewhere around 400,000 Christians in North Korea. But again, the situation is very, very difficult for them. Gosh, I know that, that... In some ways, and that's an encouraging number, because it when is. when you've got a government trying to totally repress and eradicate a, a religion, and whatever religions, all religions, it's amazing that there might be that many there. So, can I ask a question about Open Doors and how Open Doors, how on earth do you connect? How on earth do you, and you what, what, how do you bring change in a different country? Okay, so I can't tell you what we do in countries like North Korea and Afghanistan because it's simply too risky to talk about for the people who are there. Um, What I can tell you, just going back to your point about how encouraging it is that there are 400,000 Christians in North Korea, one of the things that is amazing 
is these persecuted Christians still have the courage to share their faith. So Hei Wu, who's an absolutely delightful pint-sized sister from North Korea, told us how she was in one of these camps and she actually shared her faith with five other inmates. And they used to meet in the toilets to worship together and share bits of the Bible that she could remember. And the reason they met in the toilets was they were so revolting. It was the only place the guards would not go. But Heiwu talked about how she got to know these other women by sharing her food, by washing her clothes, acts of service that built a relationship and then gradually, gradually they would share their faith. And when they walked past each other in the fields where they were having to do this forced labour, they would whisper to each other, Alleluia. And uh, their voice is just absolutely amazing. So that's how the church is growing. In terms of what we do, we know that one of the really important things is that people know that they're never alone and that their brothers and sisters around the world stand with them. So in a country like India, when these atrocities against churches and pastors are committed, our partners there will immediately go to comfort the Christians who've experienced these things, to stand with them, to provide whatever practical support they might need, and then over time to support them with trauma counselling, obviously Christ-centred trauma counselling, because nothing like the cross of Jesus for enabling people to be healed and restored. We also provide a lot of practical support. So for many Christians, when their faith is discovered, they're thrown out of their homes and they have no means of earning a living. And they often lose their job, particularly men. Excuse me. Men are often um, thrown out of the workplace. And so we help them to develop new livelihoods, to get new jobs, and to make a living to support them and their family. Wow. Okay. That's huge. When you've lost everything, to have someone come alongside you and and help you to be able to to restart um, is it's a beautiful uh, act of love and I can imagine the encouragement they feel when they've stood the test of, of, yeah. of, of the challenge of their yeah. faith because I, I, I guess for many as well I, and for me if, if I was in a situation where all my family would suffer massively to the point maybe of death I, I don't know what would happen to me in that situation I, I, I hope that I would faithfully declare my love for Jesus but I'm going to be honest and say, in that moment, I would need a lot of grace from God to be able to stand firm because it breaks my heart to think about it because it's enormous and I love my family so, so much. I would never want anything bad to happen to them. And yet these people are doing that. They're standing true and paying sometimes the ultimate sacrifice for these things. They are. I think one of the things that I've found really convicting, I've been in this job four years now, one of the things I've found really convicting is that The Christians have to make a choice. So they have to decide, is Jesus worth it? So they're facing possible death, possible imprisonment, losing everyone they love, losing their livelihoods. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? And most of them decide he is. And that blows me away, frankly. I met this woman called Ruby in Malaysia, and she came from a Muslim family and she had become a Christian. And when she became a Christian, her husband said to her, you have to choose between me and your Jesus. 
and she chose Jesus and he threw her and her five kids out on the street. Wow. And she had, she told me that she had this little food business on the street, but it was very, very difficult to earn enough money to feed all her children and everything. And then one night she was lying in bed and she heard the door open behind her and she was lying in the bed. She wanted to turn around and see who it was, but she said it felt like she was paralyzed. You know, she couldn't move. Yeah, yeah. And she heard this pe- person come in and they very gently touched the side of her body. She still couldn't see who it was. And she said she felt this warmth flood through her body. And she looked at me with a face that was just radiating and said, I knew it was the Lord. I knew it was Jesus. And she said from that moment on, her business turned around and she was able to look after her family and things have been much better since then. But the thing about her story that really struck me was she looked at me with a face that was just absolutely shining. And she said, you know, I know him. I know him. She has this personal relationship with Jesus that she is just never going to give up. You know, it's so precious to her. And I've met a lot of people like that who have had this extraordinary encounter with Jesus and they're just not going to give him up. He's, He's literally the most precious thing they've got and they're choosing him over everything else. I find it absolutely inspirational. I, I'm finding it inspirational sitting here listening. So uh, I guess people listening at home though, right now that they, they might be thinking, oh, this is all very far away from me. Or they might also be thinking, who is this Jesus that, that Henry and Gordon are talking about? Would you be happy right now to pray for people just to um, maybe have a heart that's um, renewed in prayer for those people who are in the persecuted church, but also for those people who don't yet know Jesus, for them to have that sort of encounter. Yeah, let me pray. Lord Jesus, the most wonderful thing in the whole world is knowing you and knowing how much you love each of us, knowing what you achieved for us by dying on the cross and rising again, knowing that you have done what is necessary to make everything bad eventually turn good. You have made a way for us to be right again with God our Father. And Lord, I pray for everybody who is listening to this radio broadcast that they would have such an encounter with you, Lord Jesus, either through your word, through the Bible, through meeting somebody who knows you or by you speaking to them direct. Lord, I pray that you would move by your Holy Spirit amongst all those listening. And I pray that they would come to know you as their personal saviour, that they'd know how much you love them, whatever is happening to them in their lives, whatever they have been through in the past, whatever they may be facing, Lord, You are Emmanuel, God with us. You are with us and you love us and you bring good. You are good and you bring good and your plans will stand. I pray that they'd know that, Lord, and we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you so much for that, Henrietta. Um, so Open Doors started with Brother Andrew delivering Bibles, and I've got to say, it's an absolutely amazing story, and uh, in fact, I think it's probably been my family's favourite audiobook that we've ever listened to. Like, when you've gone on a long car journey, we've, we've before sought out different things, and that is just, uh, my, my kids were riveted, and they're like, oh, can, mm. can, we, can we carry on driving so we can hear a bit more? Yeah, it's so, an amazing story. It's, it's a fantastic story, and I would recommend, if you, if you haven't read uh, Brother Andrew's book, definitely go and find God Smuggler, because it is absolutely fantastic. So, so that started with, with Bible smuggling. Is that something that continued uh, for Open Doors after Brother Andrew stopped that part of it? Yes. So in some countries, it's still incredibly difficult to get a Bible. So in China, for, for example, which is number 17 on our world watch list. It's quite high, 17 out it of 50, It is high, actually. and it's, it's rocketed up since 2014. China has really rocketed up the list. And the reason for that is that Xi Jinping and his government want to keep China purely Chinese and purely communist. And so they're trying to eradicate faith and worship of anything else from the country. So people will have seen in the news the persecution of the Uyghur Muslims in China, which has been absolutely horrific as well. So gradually, since 2014, the government have made it more and more difficult for people to find out about Jesus. So they've made it illegal for anyone under the age of 18 to go to Sunday school or to attend church. They've made it illegal for churches to show crosses. If churches don't register with the government, they're closed down. Many pastors have been imprisoned without an open trial. It's now no longer possible to get a Bible online and you can't um, use any Christian apps. So they're gradually making it more and more and more difficult for people in China to find out about Jesus. So yes, you know, the, the Bible talks about the word of God being our sword. Yeah. Yeah. And persecutors sometimes understand more than we do the value of what we've got. They know the power of the Bible. You know, I've met so many people who've become Christians simply by reading the Word of God. And as they've read about Jesus and everything, they've felt so convicted. Um, So governments don't want it to get into people's hands. So yes, we still do a lot of... um, We do a lot of discipleship training, we do a lot of leadership training, sometimes in the open in some countries, sometimes in secret in other countries. We do quite a lot of stuff online because that's the best way to access people in some countries. Our partners also broadcast radio shows and others into some of these countries. So there are multiple ways that we can get the word of God there. Okay. it, it, and that's, that's fantastic, I've got to say. And you mentioned about the different bits. Is it something that people can be actively involved in? Or And so listeners at home maybe might be going, oh, wow, that's really something that I'd love to do. Can they contact your organisation and, and there are opportunities for people to... To, give, or, <laughs> to or smuggle it, Bibles. Yeah. I don't. Uh, we don't send your average person to smuggle Bibles into country anymore. No, we don't do that. But we do ask people to support us financially so that we have the means to enable others um, from the culture. That's very, very important um, to support the church there in 
excuse me, in whatever way it needs. So um, that may be smuggling Bibles or other materials. It may be providing practical support during COVID. You know, the church was literally at risk of starvation because in many countries, Christians were being discriminated against in the distribution of food aid. And because so many Christians are so poor, um, they were daily wage earners. So if you can't go out to earn a wage, then you've got nothing. They don't have any assets, no mortgage, no savings, nothing. So we did a lot of um, providing food and basic supplies to Christians, literally to keep the church physically alive. And as I say, we help people develop new livelihoods. We provide trauma counselling. We do lots of training, do lots of support, particularly um, for families where they've lost their primary wage earner. So, So when a man is killed... Often he leaves many dependents behind. And for his wife, she may never have worked. So she needs training. um, She needs encouragement. She needs to be able to step up and earn for the family. So these are all things we do for which we need financial resource. Um, And here at Spring Harvest, one of the things we're asking people to do is to support centres of hope. So Middle East, people will have seen in the press over many years the devastation caused in the Middle East in countries like Iraq and Syria Mm. after civil war. And then where there's a power vacuum, it's very easy for extremists to step in. And we've seen Al-Qaeda and ISIS and Daesh step in. And, you know, I heard stories of how in Syria... ISIS were using churches and Christian statues and things for target practice. So they were destroying churches, destroying statues. 80% of Christians from Iraq have left the country. And in Syria, I was told there's only one man left for every seven women because so many Christian men have either been killed or been driven away. Um, or have left to try and find work elsewhere. So the situation in these countries is absolutely desperate. And there are two things we need to do. One is to support the Christians who are left behind. And often, as always, it's the old, it's people with a disability, it's the very young, it's people who don't have the means to get out. They're the ones, so it's the marginalised who tend to be left. Um, And we also want to encourage people to come back. Now, in order to do that, in order to restore, renew and rebuild, we have to give people the means to do that. And so we've been working with churches across Iraq and Syria in particular to establish what we call centres of hope. And these are places where people can come, Christian or not, and they can get the help they need. They can get support with food, with rent, with starting a new livelihood, finding a new job, they get encouragement, they get hope. Yeah, they get hope. And we want to establish more and more of those centres. And, you know, some of these pastors, Gordon, in the midst of the fighting, they could have escaped themselves. They had the option to leave the country and they chose not to because they decided, as the good shepherds they are, to remain behind and continue to, the minister, to minister to the people in need in their community and these are the people like Father Daniel who is meant to be here today but sadly couldn't join us Um, they chose to stay behind 
Yeah, and it's and it's to a, minister to people. An extraordinary, brave, uh, oh, faithful, amazing. bold decision to make to Absolutely. stay behind. Well, particularly when you consider that the pastors are intentionally being targeted, mm. so they're they're just not even your your average punter Christian. You know, these are the leaders. Yeah, but they chose to stay. It's absolutely breathtaking. Wow. Okay, so it sounds like it's something that everyone can be involved in from a point of view of prayer. Uh, Absolutely. But also from a point of view of giving into it, where, where, where people maybe just feel touched that it'd be something that they'd want to support. Definitely it's something that's on God's heart. Mm. Uh, where do people find out about you? The best thing to do is to go on our website, which is www.opendoorsuk.org. Opendoorsuk.org. O-R-G. Yep. There's loads of information on there about uh, opportunities to donate, but also prayer. And you're absolutely right. Prayer is key. This is a spiritual battle. We have what I consider to be a really good monthly prayer diary with daily prayers for specific people and specific situations. And it's also full of stories about answers to prayer. So it's hugely encouraging. There's lots to give thanks for there as well as specific situations. Which is always good, isn't it? If you're, if, you're, if you're praying for things, to be able to also see answered prayers, I think helps well, build faith in these things. it builds faith, doesn't yeah, it? Absolutely. It really builds faith. That's yeah. wonderful. So, um, yeah, so the website's the place, really. Okay, nice and easy. So just tell us one more time that web address. Opendoorsuk.org. Which is unusual because the UK and the org are the other way around to lots of churches. So opendoors.uk.org. No, it's opendoorsuk. Oh, Open Doors UK. Org. It's a good job I clarified. And my fault, <laughs> listeners, dear listeners, it was probably said really clearly every time, but my brain didn't take in. So opendoorsuk.org. Exactly. Simple. Okay, that's fantastic. Well, Henrietta, thank you so very much for joining us today on Hope FM. We really appreciate all that you shared and every blessing to your ministry and every individual uh, that is knowing more of God's love because of what you do. Thank you so much for your time. Thank Bye-bye. you very much indeed. God bless you. Today's Hope FM Drive Show is brought to you by Spring Harvest, bringing the whole church together to worship, learn and share. For the latest news and events, visit springharvest.org.